Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and ISLC.org and the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Narjos Flores. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Narjos Flores, Associate Director of the Cancer Care Equity Program and a medical oncologist at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and an Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. I'm very excited about this episode. We're going to be discussing the increasing role of artificial intelligence or AI in the diagnosis and treatment of thoracic malignancies. We're seeing an AI taking the central stage in many conferences, not only in lung cancer, but in the whole oncology community. Today, we have two pioneers in the field. First, I would like to introduce Dr. Sanya Dasik, MD, PhD, who is an internationally renowned, highly accomplished leader in anatomic pathology and the Vice Chair and Director of Anatomic Pathology in the Department of Pathology at Yale School of Medicine. She is the past president of the Pulmonary Pathology Society and a member of the ISLC Pathology Committee. She will be discussing and help us understand the role of AI in thoracic pathology and beyond. Welcome, Dr. Dasik. Thank you. And hello, everyone. And thank you so much for inviting me. It's a real great pleasure to be here today. It is our honor to have you here. Our second guest is Dr. Fabio Inoue de Moraes, MD, PhD, MBA. He's the executive director of the Global Oncology Program, an associate professor and clinical investigator in radiation oncology at Queen's University and Kingston Health Science Center in Kingston's Ontario, Canada. Dr. Inoue de Moraes has authored more than 100 published peer-reviewed articles in prestigious journals as the New England Journal of Medicine, Lancet Oncology, Nature Medicine. Further, I had the pleasure of working with him as one of the upcoming World Conference on Lung Cancer 2024 chairs. Welcome, doctor. Thank you. Uh, hello, everyone. It's my pleasure uh, to be here today. Thanks a lot. We are friends here, so we're going to be referring each other by first name. So let's start with this discussion. I'm so excited, and I can't wait to learn from the two of you. For many of us, AI or artificial intelligence is a new concept. Our knowledge may be limited to what we may have watched on TV, a movie, or a presentation in a conference. Fabio, how would you describe AI? And what is AI in the context of medicine? Fantastic. This is a big question, and I'll try to give you like a very nice and summarized uh, answer to that. So uh, AI refers to the development of computer system that can perform tests uh, that typically require human intelligence. It involves the use of algorithms, statistical model to analyze data, recognize patterns, make predictions and decisions. The term is usually uh, interchangeably used to its uh, subdomains, such as machine learning and deep learning, which are specialized areas within AI. 
So AI has various applications in medicine, including the field of oncology and thoracic oncology. I want to define some basics of AI so everyone can understand the discussion from now on. First, I want to define machine learning. So machine learning is a subset of AI that enables computer to learn from data without being explicitly programmed for it. Machine learning can analyze large data sets, identify patterns, and make predictions. So in the context of lung cancer, machine learning algorithms can be trained on medical imaging, patients' record, and help us to uh, do better diagnosis and assist on prognosis and treatment decisions. Deep learning is a subfield of machine learning that utilizes artificial neural network with multiple layers to model and understand complex patterns in data. Deep learning are particularly effective when analyzing large, high-dimensional data sets. In oncology and thoracic oncology, deep learning techniques are applied to medical imaging analysis, tumor segmentation, and pattern recognition. Finally, I want also to uh, define two common branches of AI that are computer vision and natural language processing. First, computer vision focuses on, on interpreting the visual world. So we look to images, videos, and we understand that with AI technology. Natural language processes so focus on interpreting written or spoken tests and enables computer to understand, generate, respond, and interact with notes. So that's the way that I would start uh, defining and setting the stage for our discussion today. So Fabio, there was one article published exactly today about, you know, it's a two-part two article in ISLC News about AI. And one comment that brought my attention is that we already are using AI in our daily lives. How is this possible? And do you agree with that? Yeah, I totally agree. We have been using AI in our daily life for a couple of years now. So uh, if you imagine, if you go do a search in Google, uh, Google also uh, always suggests how, like what kind of words you should use and like uh, what kind of phrases you should use. Like Google has been learning what people are searching and what you have been searching. When you turn on your TV and you you want to watch something on Netflix or YouTube, there's always a recommendation based on something that you already uh, uh, watched in the past. Uh, and then the system, the AI model will give you something that will be interested to you. Social media is doing the same based on your patterns. They learn what you like, what do you watch, what do you engage. So they, they keep more uh, things that are in, in interested to you, to your field. And, and, and also there's this self-driving cars. So the self-driving cars also they use AI and also the computing vision technology uh, to drive alone and to help our lives and improve the way that we can move from one point to another. So almost all big companies these days, they are using AI like Amazon as well to recommend you a new product or et cetera. And now there's the big hype on chat GPT that can help you uh, to learn, to understand, to ask questions, to interact, and to create uh, more and more uh, new uh, information from what is available on the internet. All of this is, you know, opens my mind to things that I didn't know. And when you talk about self-driving cars, uh, I think that would be my dream come true because driving in Boston is a... It, 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 I would call it a stream sport. 
So if I get AI to help me drive in Boston and park, find parking in Boston, that would be great. So Sanya, as we move in the important role of pathology in thoracic malignancies, has AI made his way into thoracic pathology and how? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the question. And, you know, I, I second your desire to have a driverless car, you know, AI driving for me. I feel the same driving on a North 95 every day to New Haven. So I am with you on that one. So, but to get back to a serious question, you know, AI in pathology. And uh, I think I have to go back to what actually Fabio said at the beginning, uh, about you know, kind of two aspects when we are talking about AI and we are when we are talking about digital pathology. Digital pathology definitely paved its way many years ago. I would say for a decade now, and uh, we as a pathologist really helping each other uh, with the remote sign out, with uh, reading intraoperative diagnosis on a difficult cases for our colleagues in the community even like international uh, consult cases or international reading frozen sections as well. So that's exciting part. And then uh, I can tell you that uh, AI, which is so powerful, uh, actually made pathologists a little bit nervous. And at the beginning of the year, there was a Delphi study published in eBiomedicine with a group of AI experts in, uh, in pathology in general with a question, with a survey about 180 questions solely dedicated to AI. And it was actually very interesting to see how we feel about AI and where we stand. We definitely see that AI could help us with the diagnostic accuracy. Whenever it comes to quantitation, it will definitely help us. And, uh, and probably, not probably, it will definitely do better than what we do as humans when it comes down to quantitation. Uh, AI itself is really still, I would say, in the research arena. But what we experienced in the past decade is there is a, such a fast progression or transition from the research arena into the clinical practice. And that's, I think, what we all in pathology anticipate. Um, in terms of the use of the AI, uh, you know, there are nice publications that came out showing uh, the diagnostic accuracy of AI. Uh, one of the publications being on the TCGA um, data and basically, you know, very nicely classifying lung adenocarcinomas. We've seen a similar article on grading on lung adenocarcinomas, uh, which for which we know it's uh, low reproducibility. But one area that I would like to mention and uh, that I feel very excited about uh, is the tool that was developed for major pathologic response in uh, neoadjuvant uh, uh, therapy-treated uh, uh, lung cancers. Um, I really had the privilege to work uh, with, uh, with an outstanding group uh, of uh, computer scientists, uh, as well as my colleagues uh, from uh, Memorial, Bill Travis and uh, Ignacio Vistuba from uh, MD Anderson, uh, which was a part of the uh, LCMC3 trial, for which actually the algorithm was developed to assess the NPR on surgical resection specimen. And uh, concordance was great, maybe even like better with the, with the AI tool. And I would also like to mention that actually the uh, ICLC has a, a, a great project going on because it was recognized that pathologic response is a huge area of uncertainty in a pathological practice. And we know it's it's important for, uh, for the clinical decision-making. So we have an ongoing project and uh, AI is going to be also part of the, the project. So I'm very excited actually to see the results and we will present some of the results at the World Lung. So 
I would say uh, AI is here and uh, probably in five years, uh, we are going to see AI as a partner, as a pathologist partner, I would say. Hey, there's so many things that you say, Sanya, that I really like. First, the multidisciplinary and the collaboratory nature of the project. And also, anybody who's listening, we hope to see you in Singapore. But I think it's just bringing people from different parts to try to use this technology to improve the care of patients uh, with lung cancer. I, I know the data probably is an embargo, Sanya, but... Um, is there any a little sneak peek that you can give us about some of this data that we may be presented in Singapore? Um, I don't think I can really give you the data. Uh, I can tell you that we as a pathologist did very well, which is a good news. And uh, I'm still waiting for the AI data, but I'm pretty much sure that we'll be able to reproduce, even not if improve the data, what we presented for LCMC3. But oh. I'm personally very excited. And actually, entire pathology community is very excited about this tool because, you know, this is the area that really needs to be standardized in a pathology practice. And uh, we are way behind to some other tumor types, for example, breast cancer. So this is a great way to really standardize across the board. And as you nicely said, you know, it's a global, it's a, we are trying to treat patients across the globe equally and in the same manner. So this is a great opportunity to standardize the care. So that's wonderful, Sanya, because you just give me a trailer, like a movie. So <laughs> I'm going to be in that presentation in Singapore. I'm going to drink as much coffee as I can to fight the jet lag because I want to understand. And also, if the pathologists are incited, I'm incited as well. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to meet you in person in Singapore. <laughs> Thank you. I would like to discuss the, the role of AI at the various parts of the cancer continued for thoracic malignancy. So to follow on this, let's start with lung cancer screening and diagnosis. Fabio, we have seen early data about the use of AI to identify and characterize pulmonary nodules and other CT findings with AI. Can you please share with your audience how AI has been used in this space and what are your thoughts about it? Sure, that's a great question. And I uh, share the same feeling of uh, Sanya that we we are using AI on the research arena, but in the next couple of years to five years, it will come to clinic. Uh, as you know, like AI in lung cancer screening and diagnosis has shown promising results in, uh, in, in improving accuracy and efficiency. We can use uh, AI as a computer-added uh, detection, which is uh, using AI algorithm to assist radiologists in detect in detect on the detection of lung nodules or suspicious areas on the CT. We can also use AI for risk stratification, so um, to develop uh, risk models for lung cancer screening. We can also uh, use for integration of clinical data, getting. Uh, patient demographic, medical history, genetic information to enhance the screening, and also for workflow optimization. So assisting on streamlining lung cancer screening, diagnosis process, and etc. Uh, when I talk about like AI on uh, screening and lung diagnosis, there's two like recent uh, papers that I like to highlight. Uh, first uh, paper is a systematic review with meta-analysis from March 2023. It's an international team and they actually they aim to evaluate the value of artificial intelligence for diagnosing lung cancer. 
So because most of the studies at this point, they are small studies with like limited sample size, this um, exercise of doing a systematic review of meta-analysis was very important. So they, they actually end up uh, including um, around 28 studies. And then for the meta-analysis, about 14 studies. And the meta-analysis showed that the sensitivity of uh, AI-assisted diagnosis uh, for lung cancer was uh, 0.87, which indicate high ability to identify positive cases. And a specificity of 0.87 as well, suggesting a low rate of false positives. They also reported on a positive uh, likelihood ratio of 6.5, which is indicate that uh, positive AI diagnosis can increase the likelihood of diagnosis cancer on the imaging. And in the end of the day, they reported uh, an accuracy of 0.93, indicating a overall good diagnostic performing. So showing that the AI algorithm can be very useful for helping us to diagnose and screening uh, lung nodules. More recently, there is also a, a paper on radiology from South Korea that is a randomized trial that used AI for no nodule detection on chest radiography. So the, 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 the team actually, uh, they investigated the impact of artificial intelligence based computer aided detection to detect uh, lung nodules in patients undergoing health checkup. So the primary outcome was finding lung nodules and then confirm these nodules in a CT within three months. It's, it's a very interesting uh, study that shows that AI had an improved detection rate of uh, nodules in the lung compared to the known AI group. And also the AI demonstrated a higher uh, detection rate for malignant nodules compared to non-AI, which was uh, very reassuring that we are going on, on the right direction. And finally, there is a, a very nice uh, study uh, from uh, also 2023 published on JCO. It's a team from, the, from Harvard and MIT. So they developed this deep learning module called Sibyl that can predict individuals' uh, future uh, risk of lung cancer uh, based on analyzing a, a one low-dose computer uh, tomography scan. So they uh, report on their results that they have a high accuracy of predicting lung cancer with uh, accuracy of uh, one year for prediction of uh, about 0.92. And they actually used uh, more than one data sets and validated on sterile data sets. So the study actually showed to us that we can actually apply these AI models on, on, on the real world, and that will give us a, a, a very good uh, accuracy to uh, find and to predict risk of developing uh, new cancers. So this will help us uh, to personalize risk assessment and actually to improve uh, how effective cancer screening are but we still need more research to explore clinical application and to improve our models. Thank you so much. I think that also we help, you know, because we have very poor uptake on lung cancer screening. I think AI may have a role in trying to improve the uptake and also expand it to other areas in which, you know, there are no radiologists or there is rural U.S. or low to middle income countries. So I think this is going to be everywhere. So. Now that we have identified the non-nodule or mass, the patient has undergone a biopsy. So Sania, 
how AI could be used to make this tissue diagnosis? And what, what are some of the limitations of using AI for a pathologic diagnosis or a thoracic malignancy? Yeah, yeah thank you for the question. Uh, you know, I, I'll be really honest here. Um, I really, I know there are lots of efforts and not lots of efforts, but I would say there are, there are some research initiatives to start trying to diagnose, you know, lung cancer on a small tissue biopsy. And, you know, that's perfectly fine. But uh, I, I personally think that in a practice, we are actually as a pathologist doing pretty well. And we are pretty good when it comes down to subclassification of the lung cancers, considering all the efforts with WHO that ICLC also supported uh, several years ago. So, um to me, where I really would like to see AI going even more, and we do see uh, already some commercial products, is really to try to identify the genotype of the lung cancer. Because as we are all know, tissue is an issue. And uh, despite the fact that you know there are liquid biopsies and everything, but there is still lots of tissue uh, testing. And uh, we know that uh, despite the fact that we are talking a lot about molecular profiling of lung cancer, the testing rate is still suboptimal, particularly for our underserved patients. I, uh, there are already uh, some tools uh, out there, commercially available, soon commercially available, to actually identify uh, major players like EGFR, KRAS, Fusions on one H&E slide. And uh, if we could do that in a clinical practice, I think that would be a really major game changer for the way how pathologies practice the uh, information that we can provide to you as a clinicians who are making these important treatment decisions in very short period of time. So I, as a pathologist, actually, my dream is to see one integrated in, uh, report within 24 hours where I can give you the uh, histological diagnosis. AI tool is going to provide genotype of the tumor. And then when we are talking about nowadays uh, the immunotherapies, if we can give you like more information about, you know, tumor microenvironment and AI really does have application there. So I'm excited about those type of the research because uh, I think they can really make a huge impact in a pathology clinical practice because Currently, I know the turnaround time is not great, particularly for the molecular testing. You know, tumor microenvironment uh, assessment is great in the research area, but very little is happening in the clinical area. So I, I, I would like to see AI going in that direction and helping us to provide better care. And that's a perfect segue for my next question, because biomarker testing is so essential for lung cancer diagnosis and lung cancer treatment. But yet, in the United States and outside of the United States, we still have suboptimal rates of testing. And with the addition of neoadjuvant therapy, we need to do even more testing in an early stage. Has there been any early aspirations of how AI can, you know, help with the biomarker testing uh, in patients that may be in a timeline to decide about neoadjuvant therapy, you know, compared to some patients with metastatic disease, these patients, we need to make a decision quickly. Mm -hmm. So as I said, uh, there are already these AI tools that actually really can provide these uh, comprehensive or less comprehensive, I would say, uh, genotypes of the tumor from the whole slide images. And, uh, and, and this is actually where in a part, you know, scanning of our slides daily is becoming very important. So we can actually integrate uh, histology or 
histological information together with available molecular information. So basically these AI tools can be developed. So these tools already exist. When it comes to uh, neoadjuvant therapy, particularly for the immunotherapy, you know, for the PDL1, for example, which we all know it's not the perfect mark biomarker, but we still use it as a biomarker and it has some predictive value. We as a pathologist are not doing very well uh, when it comes to quantification. And uh, there are already commercial tools out there, and some practices are actually using these quantitative tools that can actually quantitate a PDL1. There are more comprehensive uh, uh, panels that are also available, but again, these more comprehensive panels are not really entirely uh, completely used in the clinical practice. They're really mostly used in the research and in clinical trials, but they're really not in a clinical practice. But I'm hoping that that's going to be the way like in five years from now that we will have like a different discussion. Thank you so much. And, you know, what I can see in our conversation is that AI is coming to every aspect of of the care of patients with thoracic malignancies. So Fabio, as a radiation oncologist, what is the current use and where do you see the use of AI in radiation oncology and thoracic malignancies? Yeah, that's a, it's a great one. So we know that uh, AI in radiation oncology for thoracic oncology is rapidly evolving and holds a great uh, promise for improving uh, treatment, planning, delivery, and outcomes. Currently, we are using AI on, like, number one is treatment planning. So uh, AI can help uh, radiation oncologists in optimizing treatment plans by helping us on contouring target volumes or organs at risk. And that also help us to streamline the planning process and improve consistency. Uh, number two is for uh, dose prediction and optimization. So AI can help us to predict radiation dose distribution and help us to optimize treatment plans. One, to achieve uh, the coverage while mi minimizing toxicity to the surrounding uh, health tissues. Another application is on adaptive radiotherapy. So um, we can use AI to analyze imaging data acquired during treatment and then provide real-time feedback to adapt our treatment plan. This enable us to deliver personalized uh, radiation adjustment to account for changes in tumor size, shape, position, and that will help us to enhance treatment accuracy. We are also now going on, on an area that we are studying uh, AI for treatment response assessment. So analyzing pre and post treatment imagings, evaluate treatment response, identify potential treatment failures and et cetera. For one example, uh, for patients who are treated uh, as a stage uh, three with chemo radiation, trying to predict the risk of pneumonitis and then putting that on the pipeline before adding immunotherapy. So that will help our patients. And then the future potential for AI on, on radiation oncology would be, on my view, on radiomics and radiogenomics. So meaning that we can uh, use AI to extract uh, quantitative features from medical imaging, radiomics, and uh, correlate with genomic data, radio or radiogenomics. And that integration will help us to identify imaging biomarkers that can predict treatment response, recurrence risk, or survival. 
We can also use AI in radiation oncology to, in the future, to predict outcomes. So analyze clinical data, imaging data, so then we can predict the patient who are going to respond, has, have better survival rates or higher or less toxicity rates. Another very um, nice application would be for quality assurance and workflow efficiency. So if we can use AI to help us with quality assurance processes, that will help us to have better uh, plan evaluation, delivery verification, and that will improve efficacy and reduce human errors. And, and last but not least, uh, also as a decision support system. Oncology is getting more and more complex every day, especially because of all information that we, we are accumulating. So having an AI-powered decision support system can provide uh, us with um, easy way to evidence-based treatment recommendation based on the patient-specific data linking together with clinical guidelines and expected treatment outcomes. That will help uh, all thoracic oncologists in making informed decisions tailored to our patients in an individual way. But it's important for me to highlight that while AI shows significant potential in radiation oncology for thoracic oncology, I don't think it's going to replace radiation oncologists, but will augment and support our decision. And we still need to have more research with robust validation, integration to the workflow, to the workflow, and also uh, regulatory approvals so we can widespread the application of AI in the future in radiation oncology. Thank you so much for explaining that. And you know, we can be talking about this for a long time, but something I want to ask the both of you is several ethical issues have been raised about artificial intelligence, including plagiarism, HIPAA violations with patient data may be extracted without their consent. What are your thoughts and comments about some of the ethical concerns that has been raised about AI in thoracic oncology? I will start with Sanya and then Fabio, you can give us your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th th thank you. This is a great question. And uh, I can speak from the pathologist perspective uh, uh, because uh, for us, because we are making the diagnosis, uh, uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, anxiety about who is going to be responsible legally if the diagnostic error is made. And uh, I would just like to second that we as a pathologist also feel that AI is going not, it's not going to replace pathologists entirely. It's going to be just another tool that's going to help us and enhance actually our performance. Uh, but, but the question is, you know, pathology practice is also very busy and particularly at, at the big centers when the volumes are really high. Uh, the question is how much of the diagnostic work actually will be given to AI and the pathologist is uh, too busy and doesn't have a sufficient time to really uh, spend the time with the case and check actually what the AI read initially. And for example, the, the diagnosis is wrong, you know, who is going to be responsible at the end? And we actually pretty much, uh, actually, I would say that pathology community is really very uh, nervous about algorithms that will be produced because what we see right now is like, there is a huge power of technology that's coming out. Regulatory world is definitely behind. And, uh, uh, you know, when everything goes at such a fast pace, the question is, are we going to make an error? 
and basically create potentially biased algorithms that are trained on insufficiently diverse data sets that may lead uh, you know, to wrong diagnosis or the wrong uh, you know, genotypic profile of the tumor. And the question is who is going to be responsible. And that's something that really has to be addressed by the regulatory and legal world. Um, at, at the same time, we feel because this technology is coming in our laboratories and we are going to implement it, there is no question about it. We really need from the pathology perspective, our regulatory world like a CLIA to really step up and give us the guidelines, you know, how we are going to validate these uh, new tools, how we are going to implement them, how we are going to make sure that they are actually accurate and performing at, at the level that they are meant to uh, perform. So these are all questions. I, th I think at this time we have more questions than answers about this aspect, but these are all concerns. And uh, we believe that in the next five years, CLIA will come forward with certain regulatory part and uh, we also believe that some pathology organizations, uh, for example, CAP, we also, I mean, there are already some guidelines, but they're really not that granular. Uh, they will come up uh, with uh, regulations and uh, we would need to adhere to those. Thank you. Fabio, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a very important question and uh, it's a very important uh, issue. So uh, we, we know that the ethical concerns surrounding AI in oncology, as in any field of uh, medicine, are important to be addressed and mitigated. Uh, there are some key points that I will try to like uh, tell our listeners in package. So first is data privacy and consent. So protecting patient data, privacy, insurance, uh, appropriate consent, uh, making sure that the AI systems adhere to data protection regulations such as HIPAA to safeguard our patient confidentiality is the most important. It's super important. Uh, and then number two, like bias and fairness. So we know that uh, like an, an AI algorithm can inadvertently perpetuate bias present in the data that uh, was used to train them, leading to unfair or discriminatory outcomes. So we need to, to do something to identify and address this bias if they may arise. Uh, another important point is transparency and explainability. So algorithms can be complex and difficult to interpret, but ensuring that they are transparent and they are easily explainable uh, is crucial to maintain the trust and enable clinicians to understand and to apply AI on the clinical uh, field. Another important point that Sonia brought is also accountability and liability. So when using AI in clinical decision-making, it's important to establish a clear line of accountability and liability. So clinicians should have uh, a thought and understand the limitations and capability of AI system, because in the end of the day, physicians will be responsible for patient, they are responsible and will be responsible for patient care. Uh, and if there's any issues or concerns, it will lie on us. And last but not least, we need to have like better regulation and regulatory documents and also guides for robust validation. So we need like regulatory bodies to establish uh, guidelines and standards for development, deployment and ongoing monitoring. I think it's very important for us to monitor AI technologies and how they are doing in the clinical field. So in the end of the day, it's going to be a multidisciplinary approach that will combine medical expertise, ethics, law, and technology to ensure a responsible and ethical use of AI in thoracic oncology. Thank you so much. And we are about to come to the end of the conversation, but my last question to the two of you, 
What is some of the new research that's coming down the pipeline that you are excited to see? Sanya, will we start with you? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I'm person, again, I'm talking from my personal perspective and thinking about uh, um, our lung cancer patients and not only lung cancer patients, thoracic patients in general. I'm most excited really about all these models coming out about prediction of the biomarkers and uh, tumor microenvironment. I think this is really going to be like a big change in our clinical practice. Uh, Personally, I'm also very excited about uh, NPR tool uh, that was developed because I think that would really help to standardize pathology across the globe, but it also should help us standardize the clinical trials. I think that's a huge help for the clinical trials as well. Thank you. Fabio, what are you excited about when it comes to research about AI? Yeah, uh, yeah. when it comes to research, I have been uh, very excited lately with uh, digital twins. So digital twins, uh, like uh, they refer to a virtual representation or a model that simulates the biological characteristics or and behavior of an individual patient or tumor or organ. They, they are replicas of, uh, of, of a patient or, or a tumor based on various data sources, including medical imaging, genomic information, clinical data, physiological patterns, uh, and, and they can create like a comprehensive virtual representation of, of that individual. And then in oncology, we will be able to use digital twins for in, in many areas, including uh, treatment planning and, and optimization. So uh, digital twins can be used to simulate the response of a tumor to a different treatment, allowing for personalized treatment and planning optimization. It can help us with real-time treatment adaptation by uh, integrating patient-specific data to the digital twin and giving us real-time updates on tumor behavior and response. Uh, it will help us with uh, virtual clinical trials, so we it can employ uh, it can be employed to simulate and predict outcomes in different interventions and adding in a clinical trial design. And and last but not least, can also help us with patient education and shared decision. Uh, a digital twin can be used as an educational tool for patients, allowing them to visualize their condition, treatment options, and potential outcomes. And that will empower patients to participate in shared decision-making process by providing a better understanding of their uh, of personalized uh, treatment strategies. Thank you so much. We're sadly running out of time. Um, I want to thank the two of you for your time. You volunteer your time to be part of us. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we end this episode of Lung Cancer Considered? Any uh, additional I, comments? I can start. So first, like, thank you, uh, Narjas, for uh, guiding us today uh, in this enlightening discussion on the future of thoracic oncology and transformative role uh, of AI. I think like on the pursuit of progress, we, we should never forget uh, that uh, the purpose behind our work that stands far beyond ourselves and encompass the lives of countless individuals and their loved ones. So we need to make our commitment to make a positive impact on the mankind and uh, actually um, help to improve uh, cancer uh, care and improve the outcomes of thoracic uh, cancer uh, patients. So altogether, I want to send all my gratitude to our listeners and also to our patients who help us uh, to learn a lot and to improve our field. Thank you. Sanya, any additional comments? Yeah, thank you so much again for for having me. It it was really a wonderful discussion. I learned a lot today from the oncology side. uh, And again, 
um, you know, AI is really here to help us to advance patient care. And that's the most important task that we all have to accomplish. Thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation, but sadly, is the end. I would like to thank again our guests for their time and for their leader efforts in this space. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening to Lung Cancer Considered, the official ISLC podcast. I hope that you will tune in regularly to give us a listen. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Considered. You can find all our podcasts on our website, islc.org, in our newsroom, or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, write comments, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues. 